I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Right, folks, we're into the serious stuff now. Welcome to quarterfinals week and welcome back to the Telegraph Rugby Podcast. I'm Ben Coles here once again with Charlie Morgan. Bonjour, Charlie. Hello, Ben. And with Charles Richardson. Bonjour, Charles. Bonjour. Hello, hello, hello. We're, I was back here in the office on the ranch just uh, overseeing things, but you were both in Lille over the weekend and you were lucky enough to take in England's uh, interesting performance sneaking past Samoa through your very own eyes before we give it the full autopsy. How was that, Charlie? Underwhelming, but can we... Um can we trail the autopsy by saying there's potentially a few reasons for that that are a bit more interesting than what we actually saw? Samoa were fantastic. Need, need to stress that. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Charles? The England fans went out in force. And there was a great atmosphere around the city, wasn't there? And um, if anyone had the privilege of witnessing my karaoke attempt in a, in a bar in Lille on Saturday night, then um, you're welcome. Okay, well, tell us more about it then. What, what happened? I just went to a karaoke bar with Nick Simon of the, of the uh, Mail on Sunday and ended up absolutely butchering uh, Drops of Jupiter by train. So, um, yeah, that's about it, really. I've seen the footage. I, I don't this is all after work, I should stress. I don't professional think... duties were carried out. I think butchering's, butchering's harsh. I, I don't think it was that I agree, bad. I agree. Charlie, there was no video footage. Charlie, other highlights apart from Charles's karaoke from the weekend. What did you? We've well, just told you me off air that I had to choose something I saw with my own eyes. I'm yes, not, I'm not going to. Well, I saw, I saw oh. it with my own eyes via a screen in the Lille press room. I was in, <laughs> it was in, it was in Lille for 23 and a half hours, but I got there for just before the kickoff to see a little bit of Wales, Georgia, and I'm going to go with the brawl because that was a really good all-in brawl followed by another really good one in in ireland scotland weekend of the brawl i was going to say bring back the biff was it the best brawl of the day and i, and I don't know if it, it was if i it think was. it was it had a little bit more edge in it yeah. to the to the one two yellow cards later as well. yeah so i would say yeah marginally marginally better and just yeah nice little bit of needle good Ch- fun charles have you got another highlight i do yeah i was i was also in leon on thursday and friday and and um to watch New Zealand's sort of fairly comfortable and straightforward win over Uruguay in the end and France obliterating a very abject Italy. I think the rendition, the pre-match rendition of La Marseillaise, uh, that the Fran- French anthem before France-Italy was one of the sort of most stirring stirring renditions of any anthem I've ever heard ever and I've heard the Marseilles quite a few times and I've obviously heard plenty of anthems quite a few times but uh, the Marseilles in particular and I had this sort of, oh, what if? What if Italy win and, and France are out as hosts, I think, uh, no one in in the city of Lyon shared that view, and uh, at the anthems, I realised that there was no chance that France were losing that. No chance on earth. 
This is great because now I get to talk about Portugal beating Fiji because you two haven't. Yeah. That was that was lovely, yeah, wasn't it? Just, just uh, fantastic. Really, really good. They've been such an entertaining side. I wrote something about them yesterday for the website. Just kind of watched the watched the game and really enjoyed it, but was also sort of despairing at the fact that this might be the last we see Portugal against kind of a top tier team for for years potentially, given the the incoming World League and the way that these fixtures stack up they ju- they've just played with so much ambition and flair and I thought it was all Patrice Lagiske and his coaching but he sort of said afterwards no it's sort of like the DNA like in Portugal they're not the league that isn't packed for the big players and they just play with a lot of width and ambition and you could see that because they've scored some cracking tries when we, when we go back over our highlights of the tournament one of my very very top ones will be being in Nice for them playing against Wales and you're absolutely right to touch on their DNA because when we get these underdogs playing well in the World Cup what absolutely makes it is them bringing their own unique style to it and Portugal absolutely did that they're good at so many things that are almost distinct to them like their ball ball movement is great but they also kick intelligently they also punch above their weight in the mall they also tackle themselves to a standstill in that second that crucial second half period against Fiji and there's a bit of dog about them as well this is awesome as well like set piece yeah. is awesome. Nicholas Martins in line out has been awesome. Yeah, I mean the scrum was a little bit harshly dealt. I thought at the weekend against Fiji, but it, th- until then it had been good throughout the tournament and, and the line got, out pu- got pumped against Wales. But yeah. but Other to come Wales, back yeah. from that to come back from that really yeah, impressive. And did well against very well against Georgia in, the, in that draw. You know, in a in a historic strength for the Georgians and and line out. I mean. They, they took Fiji to the cleaners, didn't they? With, with a team like that, you normally you might get one kind of amazing performance at World Cup, and then and then they'll fade away in the next game and, and get battered. But actually, all four games really competitive. Mm. Made Wales and Australia sweat. Should should have been Georgia really one on Sunday. I, I was just really impressed. Well, you'd probably say with most of these sides that they've got better. As as would follow, as would follow logically, they've got better with more games that they've played, which is kind of a just a nudge to world rugby to get them get them more games just how, however you do it get them more games well that's what Salala Mapasur was saying wasn't he in the, in the, in the Samoa head coach in the post-match press conference at the weekend he was saying that it's no coincidence that our best performance came last and, and against uh, and in that game against England I think there is a little bit of a mentality thing whereby obviously against the better sides you know you have to up your game a little bit but I think even you know even with that I think he's right and, and you're right in what you're saying is in that you know just persistent and consistent exposure to these tier one sides is is what is where is where we're going to see improvements in the in the tier two arena you stumbled on a great um tagline there which is get them games and, and just sort of i think we can all a slogan we can all get behind for those for those tier two sides t-shirts for next week oh absolutely um so there's a bumper quarterfinals preview coming up from us including my chat with the former all blacks fullback israel dag on whether New Zealand can upset Ireland and also just on the, the general sort of state of New Zealand rugby at the moment as well. Is that Ireland-New Zealand game, Charles, if I come to you first, is that the quarterfinal that intrigues you the most? I asked this question knowing that that's not the answer because it's going to be France-South Africa, right? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. On paper, with no context, France-South Africa is, is the pick of the quarterfinals because it's the hosts and sort of favourites for the tournament with maybe with or without their their star player and the world's best player at their home ground uh, against the reigning world champions so i think that is that that's where we are but the 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 pl- the subplots and the and the sort of wider um, wider ramifications of ireland new zealand are obviously gigantic charlie w- which game 
out of the four are you most uh, most interested in? I think France, South Africa, just because that's that just seemed that was, that's going to pivot. That's going to that's going to change the kind of direction of the tournament as far as impetus and interest in the, in the host country, isn't it? You can just imagine imagine the lull if if France go out is just, is almost almost unthinkable. But then it's all sort of it will be feel like all roads to an island South Africa uh, final. But that yeah, but they've got to get past New Zealand first. Who will be smarting from that series win? And definitely with Joe Schmidt on board, have have a few tricks up their sleeves. We haven't spoken about the other two. Well, um, don't worry. at all. Don't worry, because um, I because I'm definitely intrigued by Wales, Argentina. I fear that they're gonna. The opportunity is gonna weigh on those teams, knowing that it's so big for them. Getting through that, getting mm. through that quarterfinal, those two are, feel like they're gonna be really quite edgy. Um, yeah. And I could see, I could see any any manner, any combination of results happening. Well, we could probably do forty five minutes on one side of the draw, and then about and then about about ten on the other. New Zealand will certainly be fresher, though, for what it's worth, because they're coming in on the back of Italy and Uruguay, and actually rested quite a few of their big guns against Uruguay. Whereas Ireland, while they you know demolished Scotland, really, they've had two massive games in that pool. Um, whereas New Zealand have not played had a really tough test since the opening day Mm. against France yeah it's a very good point let's look back on England then in Samoa a pretty disjointed performance and we'll uh, we'll have a look ahead as well to the Fiji quarter final so England beat Samoa just Danny Kerr's fantastic cameo at both ends of the field with a, a sharply taken try and an even sharper try saving tackle bailed England out of Potentially another historic loss. Charlie, why were England so flat after a bit of time off? Some of it, as ever with this England team, or as has been the case recently, it's kind of things that we can't, that we kind of have to sort of, um, we can't really see. We're kind of taking, taking. it's, it's theorising a little bit. And what I would theorise is that they had um, the week off, didn't they? They had three three days off completely, scattered around France sort of with their families and things like that. And then they came back. And the bottom line was that they were already through as group winners. Now, in Steve Borthwick's world, that means that there's a very limited amount that you can take from that game. I know that it, ideally they would have been smoother and would have kind of built a little bit of cohesion with those combinations that they picked Ford Farrell to Laggy for example and Curry uh, Earl in the back row but actually it's not the end of the world that they got through that unscathed with no no major injuries and I'm fairly sure again and this is one of the things that we're going to have to theorise about I'm fairly sure they had a pretty heavy conditioning week they were a little bit flat and you've got to think it's a World Cup sure the stakes are high it's, it's the players careers highlights a lot of them and in a lot of the cases with the England side it's their last time they're going to play at a World Cup however they would have known that there was a quarterfinal around the corner that they're absolutely guaranteed to be in. And this Samoa game against the fired-up side who'd said it was their World Cup final and who were, as we've just said, were improving throughout the tournament. I think that's a tricky position for England to be in. And they look flat. They look flat, clunky, leggy, all the things that we sort of thought that they would have out of their system during the warm-up games. It reminded me of one of the August Mm. warm-up games. And England... If we give them credit, they have peaked when they've said they were going to peak. They've, they've peaked when they've absolutely had to peak against Argentina in that last bit against Japan where they pulled away. I think they went into this week knowing that they didn't absolutely have to be at their best and that showed. Yeah, no, I would completely concur with that. Having Well, I mean, sitting next to you in the, in the Leo Stadium, we turned to each other at what, about 30 minutes in and just said it just felt, felt like the Fiji warm-up. 
It just felt like the Fiji warm-up once Samoa had scored those those two tries and then had that third one quite harshly um, ruled out for a knock-on. It just felt like the Fiji warm-up. Um, I think the fact that there was very little at stake for England is probably what led to a little bit of apathy towards the game. And they did look like the back row. The back row were looked a, a, a yard off the pace. They looked tired. They were they were beaten. They were beaten to the ball by the Samoan back row. Um, Fia McFarland was 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 phenomenal for them. Um, and and yeah, it did look clunky and it did look leggy. But then <laughs> the Fijian the Fijian warm up game looked leggy and clunky. Um, in August, that was the last warm up game, and then two weeks later, a fortnight later, they're they're demolishing Argentina. Uh, so you know, it's it, it, they're very difficult to read at the minute. This England team, I'd say. If I'm putting myself in the shoes of a, a punter who has splashed out a fair bit of cash to go watch England against Samoa in Lille. I can probably accept what you're saying about why they didn't play to their capacity. And I'm also pretty annoyed by that. Can you can you see why fans are pretty annoyed about that if they've you know invested a lot of cash and you're getting that kind of England performance? And that was why we've had hints at it. Al Walters has done one press session where he said, look, we, we ran them into the ground and Argentina was our reward. And the hint you take from that is that they were cooked for these warm-up games and they're playing them playing them tired you can't say that because because punters are shelling out a lot of money i had well that's actually one of my um one of my highlights of the weekend was running into a load of really close mates who'd, who'd gone and afterwards they were pretty underwhelmed mm. um to the point where they were going actually i'm quite underwhelmed that samoa lost because they were fantastic they actually looked like you know they they looked sparky for this fixture england looked, looked the opposite um it's really difficult it's a it's a risk that borthwick has taken it's already paid off once this in this block which is with the with the performances against um argentina and to a lesser extent against japan he's taken it again um he's kind of got away with it with that one point win i think momentum is a really interesting thing with with borthwick and we've touched on this loads and loads of times he is so we know that he is so singular when it comes to one game this one game at a time mentality and reframing every week for what it is and the week that we're in now is this well is this World Cup quarterfinal, which is what they've been working towards for a long, long time. I think he will be able to seize momentum back in the way that he frames the week. Charles, there's there's a, a degree of legginess among and uh, sort of uh, excuse what was some very pedestrian attacking play. Once again, I'm thinking in particular of one set move which just seems so comically scripted and obvious I think we chatted about this on WhatsApp when it happened where Farrell then got tackled and the ball went backwards and Samoa broke up the field I mean it was pretty unimpressive stuff wasn't it in attack again it was it was the, 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 the crooks though as we've said so often with England is it's, it's only scripted and only telegraphed because because they because they were going backwards um, you know, some of the some of the stuff that they did in the in the 2019 World Cup in the semi final against New Zealand was telegraphed and scripted. But they but New Zealand couldn't stop it because they were going backwards, and and this was part of the problem. Samoa could stop it because England didn't have enough front foot ball. They didn't have enough quick ball. They didn't have enough momentum. That the pack were not getting them on the front foot regularly enough and um, incisively enough um, to allow um, the backs who are all very very good players. To, to thrive and, and that's that's the problem that England have had when England have looked bad over the past 18 months including under Eddie Jones and equally now under Steve Borthwick 
it's when they lack ball carriers, they lack punch, they lack thrust. It's quite, it's quite simple. You can go back to basics with regard to getting on the front foot and gaining and get, sort of garnering momentum and and earning quick ball. It's very. You can go back to basics and you can pick and go. You can pick and go and try and get. That would have caught Samoa by surprise, actually, because England don't pick and go very much at all. I was shocked on Friday night, France, the great entertainers, how often and how regularly and how successfully they picked and went against Italy and how that that got them such quick ball because France are another side. Well, most sides are like this, but I think the, the disparity in France is such that if they don't get quick ball, they do go a bit to pot. Whereas I think that that's what we saw with England on Saturday. Uh, Samoa stopped them. They stopped, they stopped their front football. They stopped... They, they, they did... They stop England at source, and then it, it is always going to look untidy and messy and clunky and behind if you can't get front football. That's always the case. Charlie, you've written about five areas where England need to improve, and I'm now going to ask you with no notes to recite them perfectly. So off you go. I have made my notes. So oh. They, oh, they, they will come to me. But England, England need to exit out of their own half well to look good at all because they, they're a side that covets territory. They're never going to spread unless the unless the opportunity is absolutely on as it was as we've only really seen in brief glimpses against Wales in the warm-up and then against Chile they'll only really move the ball from their own half when it's absolutely on they've just got a kick they've got to secure the ball better there were spills spill from Earl off a kickoff Oli Chesham gave away a, a quite bad breakdown penalty a breakdown penalty on the on his own 22 and he got stripped uh, on his in his own 22 later on those are errors that just can't happen um, in knockout games I've actually I've watched, watched that penalty notes. back and I think that was brutal savage from Brace we'll get, we'll, we'll because get. because the, the, the Samoa tackler is, has basically lassoed Chesham and completely tripped him up um, as he swung round and then Chesham's fallen over onto the ruck and been basically he's been basically tripped by the Samoan tackler and Brace has pinged um, Chesham for not rolling away although the knock-on was bad we can get we can get to Brace's performance because that's a, that's a really kind of interesting facet of, of the whole day actually um, another another part of this piece I've done is I don't think they can go foul to Laggy again at centre I think it gives them opportunities in attack which they showed at the start um, there was the Oli Chesham try came from quite nice interplay between that was uh, instigated by Farrell and uh, and Tulagi went straight through in the first phase, and they should have scored from that. In defence, it's vulnerable. I think that it's quite slow as far as moving laterally across the field, and that's and that would be a worry. Smith's impact is another lesson that I think um, Borthwick will take from it. Um, the Maul, funny one. The Maul didn't get as much pay as it perhaps should have done, and I think that I think that actually England could be heartened by how that and the scrum went because I don't think they got pay in either of those areas from Andrew Brace. And I think with another referee and another refereeing performance, I think they will have done. And then the other thing was just the back row balance, as, um, as Charles has, has alluded to. Does Billy Vinopola become more vulnerable again just for that go forward he can give? Does Steve Borthwick stick with the combination going, well, OK, maybe they were leggy, maybe they can give me a bit bit more this time. It's just It's just really... There are questions there and there are big selection... Um, decisions to take as you would expect Billy looked good off the bench just just very quickly I thought Billy looked really good on the bench he thought he brought impact he hasn't started so well he hasn't looked so good as, as a starter for England we know he needs rugby we know he needs match fitness but I thought he looked really good off the bench really the, sharp the restarts are like prime example of something that Billy Vinopola does really really well that you think anyone could do that and then Ben Earl comes in he drops one and he just hasn't got that thrust actually Ollie Lawrence added some thrust from those restarts in England as England tidied up in that area of the field and looked a lot better in the second half but I actually I remember writing in my player ratings for England Fiji England's Chile sorry that um, 
bit of an Apollo is almost like a specialist restart catcher. Mm. But that solidity and that sort of um, how clean he lets England set that platform and get back out of their own half, that is so vital to them. And, and, and in the kind of middle of all of this, the, the scrum half selection is really interesting because it's almost like um, it has looked at times like Alex Mitchell is sort of a, a round peg being shoved towards a, a square hole a little bit. Um, and it'll be really interesting to see how that how that plays out. A Danny Kerr start would be some turnaround from what he's sort of been through out of the wilderness, back in, back out again, back it, in and starting. It would, but how good is he in that Oh, that no, role? it's not undeserved it's, at That's all. why it's... it's it, it, but how good, how good is he in that role, I mean? How good... Why would yeah. you move him oh, see, away from mean. that? It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's tough. Well, that's, yeah. where, that's where Billy's interesting because he's never really been considered as a, a sort of bench player. He's always been the number eight that you start with and then you bring someone on. But actually, if he develops into that role... I, I just wanted to... You mentioned um, Farrell and Tuilagi. You've got four options... I don't want the one that you like. I want the one that you think is most likely to happen. So Ford or Farrell? Farrell, 10, Smith fullback. Ford at 10, Farrell at 10. I, Charles, which, which is happening. Not, which one do you like? I think, I think he will keep Stewart at fullback. Yeah. <clears throat> As a starter. That wasn't an option. But I mean, no, it's a, there'll be no Smith. <laughs> no, I know there'll be no mean. Smith at yeah. fullback. I think he will keep Stewart. He will keep Stewart at fullback. Smith won't start. I'm I'm actually at a bit of a loss to to, to guess and and to predict because the backline that finished the game, if that if that gives us a, a clue as to his thinking for for Fiji, the backline that finished the game was um, sorry not quite finished the game, but the gap the backline that he moved towards to close out the game before Manu Tuolangi left with an injury was Farrell at ten, Manu at twelve, and um, or, uh, Joe Marchant at thirteen. Um, if if you do that. If if he does do that, which I'm not against per se, if he does do that, then that means he would probably drop Ford entirely from the 23, because if not, then you'd have Ford and Smith on the bench. You'd have two fly halves on the bench and three in the squad, which does seem overkill. So therefore, can I see him dropping Ford after what he did against Argentina and knowing that and how England took the world by storm with, with, with drop goals and how they could do that again and they might have to do that again in knockout rugby I can't see him dropping Ford completely so there's a, there's a chance that he sticks with Ford Farrell maybe with Ollie Lawrence outside I, honestly I don't know I think it's I, I, I really I'm really struggling to so explain isn't it we've all we've all kind of given our opinion on what we should what he should do with that um with that axis, and I think I don't think there's much conviction behind any of our entries. Is no, there? I've, I've written certainly that, not mine, uh, certain, and certainly not mine as I've written. I think um, I can see. I don't think you drop Owen Farrell for a for a knockout game. I don't think you move him away from ten for a knockout game either, given how clunky it looked. So I would expect Farrell to be at ten, and I can I could see him starting Smith at fifteen as well. And then, the, and then the question becomes, do you fudge it a little bit and go with Stewart on one wing? That's quite an interesting... It's an interesting call because it, it potentially you retain that aerial threat, but then you, the trade-off is, again, that lateral speed. I think Mar, I think Marchant has to be 13 for that reason, and I think they need a bit, bit of biff at 12, whether that's uh, Lawrence, who's been low-key very good this World Cup, or, or too lucky. If you told me at the start of the year that Smith would be England's fullback to start the, the quarterfinal of the Rubber World Cup, I, I would have struggled. Weird things happen at to World Cups, so. 2019, yeah. we didn't see Curry Underhill happen. Yeah, happening. Sorry, and that became sort of the defining, the defining selection that drove them to the final. So weird things happen in World Cup years. Yeah, that's a good segue onto 
the next bit. I actually, for for the record, I think it's going to be Farrell at Farrell at ten, Stuart at fullback. I think, like Charlie says, they value Farrell's leadership just so highly, and I think if he has to choose between what Farrell brings as a leader versus, even though Ford's played so well, I think he's just going Farrell at ten. Sticking with the safe, it's the safe option. I don't necessarily like it. I just think it's the most obvious one. Um, you mentioned Underhill. He's back in the squad. That was uh, uh, almost a pleasant surprise as an injury replacement for Jack Willis, Charles, wasn't it? Emphasis on surprise, I think. I, th- I don't think anyone was necessarily expecting it was, to be Wasn't he him. one of the earlier cuts from the squad, sort of going back to July time? Ones, yeah. He got... St- uh, I mean, to take you behind the curtain of journalism, I was going to write about the the back row before um, sort of it, it became a bit of a disjointed game, and I was sort of looking back at a few quotes and Steve Borthwick had volunteered how good Underhill was looking when he when he announced his official um, World Cup training squad at the back end of June I think and he was saying look Sam Underhill is looking like 2019 Sam Underhill which is a seriously good player two weeks later Sam Underhill's he dropped him. <laughs> so two weeks later Sam Underhill's dropped then the next week Ben Earl gives an interview where he says yeah look to be fair that that decision sent shockwaves through through us all to sort of reinforce the fact that nobody's safe because Sam was looking really, really good and obviously that World Cup pedigree. That's the reason. seen a really interesting theory to, to plug another a podcast, BBC's Rugby Union Daily, Chris Ashton suggesting that Underhill could come in as a sort of, to just be Levani Bottier in training. Really, really, in, really interesting. I mean, quite, <laughs> t- quite tough to get that flight and miss the start of the Premiership season. I think Bath would be very happy. But he's the kind of guy, as we've sort of alluded to, that I, he would be one of the very few people in England, I think, that would be capable of of slipping straight into a Test match lineup for for as game as high stakes as this. Um, and if England want to sort out their attacking breakdown, he's just very good at that. He just steams around, smashing in, smashing into bodies at his very best. Given the deficiencies and limitations that we've already spoken about with England, though, it, 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 it came as a surprise to me. Surely, it came as a surprise to you too as well that he hasn't brought in a, 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 a sort of more out and out number eight. Or an out and out. I was expecting Tom Willis. Or, yeah, I was. I was expecting Tom Willis. Maybe Tom Pearson, given that those two made it to the to the um, to the to the final squad. Um, but there's also the argument for Don Brandt and Mercer too. Well, but I mean, they were Mercer was obviously let go very early on. But g- given what we've been what we've been chatting about and and the lack of thrust and the lack of um, impact with the ball, um, I was pretty surprised that. Uh, it was it was Underhill who is probably not going to play. Let's be honest. The, the, the Bottier theory is a very interesting one. Um, instead of someone who maybe could do a bit more with the ball in their hands. Breaking news: high drama. As, as we, we got a klaxon for as we record. Or any sound effects? Nothing. The quarterfinal referees no. have been announced. So oh my word! Jacko Piper gets Wales, Argentina. Wayne Barnes gets Ireland, New Zealand. Matthew Raynal gets England, Fiji. Ben O'Keefe gets France, South Africa. To Charles's credit. I called that. You pretty much called that. You, called that. you did actually. I called yesterday. that entire lineup yesterday. So I'm, I'm, I'll take one there. I think England. Are, I think England will be happy with that. Just I think that um, Matthew Reynolds quite particular over the breakdown. He, he's not one of the few that gives um, that is that seems to be sort of all out as far as like giving a lot of giving defenders and jacklers a long leash. So I think they, I think they'll be. And, right. they, and they had him for England Argentina. The Argentina game first up was was Matthew Reynolds. You know, and obviously they won comfortably, and and actually got on the right side of him very early on. So yeah, I think they'll be very pleased with that. Let's um, let's just wrap up this section on England by looking ahead to Fiji, and and sort of a bit concerned about Fiji the last couple of weeks. Obviously, losing to Portugal it sort of speaks for itself, but they've just looked. They haven't had the same 
precision and control to their game that we saw in the good bits against Wales and specifically in, in basically the whole game against Australia where they were they were very sharp with their box kicking, their ruck clearouts were excellent, they were very good at, ma- at sort of retaining possession and won the territory battle. The, the last couple of games against Georgia and Portugal, they've just been ragged at the breakdown. Like you've seen whoever's been at Scrum Half, whether it's Lamani or Kurivoli, basically just scrambling to try and fetch the ball and get a pass away. They look a bit tired. The pressure's been on them in both of those games because they've been expected to win and win well and, and obviously they didn't against Portugal and they snuck past Georgia. So going into the quarterfinal, because they're not favourites, Charles, that helps them, I imagine. But do you do you wonder if they've completely run out of steam or whether maybe they're holding something back for this? What do you think? I don't think they're holding something back deliberately. They might have run out of steam. Does the underdog mentality suit them better? Almost, they weren't fancied to win at Twickenham against England. They did. They weren't necessarily with the bookies fancied to beat Australia. Did obviously they they weren't they weren't favourites against Wales and they, I know they didn't win, but they came very very close and arguably should have. And yet they've lost to Portugal in 2019 as well. Um, they obviously lost to Uruguay despite having pushed Australia immensely close. I just wonder whether the underdog mentality suits them a little bit more and whether that makes them slightly more dangerous and threatening this weekend um, against England. They did look tired, but then we've just said that England did too, so it's going to be two tired teams um, <laughs> you know, slugging out a, uh, a quarterfinal. Um, yeah, and even even like the Bottier, who we've already mentioned, who is obviously on, off the back of a, a phenomenal season for La Rochelle uh, and has been and was awesome for Fiji in that um off the bench against Wales and in that Australia win, even he looked a little bit, a little bit tired and not quite himself. I wonder if they, I wonder if they like England mentality-wise, had just got to the point where they thought that they'd qualified, they thought they'd done what they needed to, and they thought there was no way that Portugal would win, and they wouldn't get at least one po- one point to send them through, and they were just maybe in fourth gear rather than fifth. I don't think they were deliberately holding stuff back, but I just wonder if it was a subconscious thing. I'd agree with that. But what I would say is a cause for concern for England is they're just due a game where they don't make that many handling errors surely because they've that's blighted them out wide weirdly and sort of the 13 13 channel they've just been a little bit loose there um they, they're due a purple patch as they had at the back end of that wales game if they can just add some guards to the ruck then they might actually you know be able to get the platform that they that they need to kind of to kind of impress and deliver um certainly not write them off you sort of forget that levani botti is the uh the oldest player in the squad as well at 34, given the way he plays. Just finally on this over-under on England line-out steals, because Fiji's line-out's been, been pretty bad. I'll, I'll set it at three and a half. Oh, I was going to say three. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I mean, that's that's the area that England have to target, I think. And they will, obviously, with, with who the head coach is and with how Fiji went there last last weekend. Yeah. It didn't help them at Twickenham. Because Fiji's mm. lineout was trash, and they still <laughs> and they still won. So good point. That is that is, tr- that is true. But I don't think maybe England might not have known that if Fiji's lineout was trash in the warmer back. They know it now, and I think they'll be yes, they'll be licking the lips. I think. Right next, we're going to chat about the uh, the spicy side of the draw. Ireland absolutely thrashed Scotland to set up this quarterfinal with New Zealand. And we're going to hear from former All Black Israel Dag about what he makes of the game and and just the state of New Zealand rugby in general. That's next. Okay, focusing first on the Irish side of things, they were, they were just there. They're typically efficient, clinical best against Scotland, scored an absolute, some belting tries as well, particularly the second try. 
They're on 17 consecutive wins now. 18 ties New Zealand and England. It's all it's all just set up very well. Charles, what what pleased you the most about Ireland's performance? Just how they just how they shot out the blocks and just <laughs> completely demolished. I mean, it was over by 15 minutes in. Really, you, you were watching it going. That's it. There was there was a there was a minor hope. I I actually thought I don't know if I said this on the podcast last week, but I actually thought that Scotland might win narrowly and not go through and have been that sort of gutting scenario. And 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 after fifteen minutes, I had Irish egg on my face. You were just going for maximum despair, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I had Irish egg on my face, and we were watching it in the um, in the press room uh, in Lille after England's win over Samoa and. Let's just say I didn't dawdle in heading back to my hotel at halftime. I was very keen to go straight back and uh, and, and get back and watch the second half there. And I wasn't going to hang around. And, and it, it it wasn't very dramatic. Let's say I was expecting I was expecting a really close contest, and we um, really didn't really didn't get it. And it was a real disappointment for Scotland. I think embarrassment might be a little bit strong, but it was certainly um, savagely disappointing for Scotland and. Fair play to Ireland, absolute chapeau, uh, under a lot of pressure. And not like Fiji, not like England, Ireland didn't necessarily have to win that game to go through. But there was no complacency. There was no... They were 100%. They were into sixth gear, seventh gear, and and just and, and just absolutely flew out the blocks and, and obliterated them. And I think now they are, they are favourites against New Zealand. I think if they'd have lost that game, it would have been 50-50, but I think they're favourites now. The grip that Ireland have on, on Scotland's number is, is quite impressive, isn't it? Like they, There's all, all kind of suggestions in the build-up. I mean, I, I don't blame Scotland for trying to big themselves up a bit. I think Blair Kinghorn was, was giving it big in the days before, saying that they were going to end Ireland's streak. You need, to, you need to say something to make yourself believe. But yeah, I mean... Ireland completely have Scotland now, don't they? It looked like it was weighing heavily on them psychologically, didn't they? And after they conceded that first try, bit of a question mark over Ty Byrne blocking George Turner in midfield, wasn't it? But it was off a slow ruck and Scotland shouldn't have got sliced that badly regardless of that little kind of, of that bump. Um, Matt Kansas' work off the ball there absolutely typifies what Ireland are about in attack, by the way. It's really, really good. But then after that, Scotland had that big spell, didn't they? And the, in the Scotland 22 and that's almost a game isn't it if you go if you score you get back on level terms there you can maybe drag that game later and keep that keep it in the balance um as it happened you know a, a flurry before half time and it's and it's game over as and as much as that first try was significant for Ireland just how they kind of smashed home that env- advantage and then sort of the the kind of final insult was just how often how many replacements sorry that they made to sort of keep those guys in in Cottonwall, Omani, Sexton coming off with half an hour to go, more I think in some was cases. It five forwards was it? Five yeah. forwards they changed at once. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, and yeah, that kind of that's a mark of how comfortable they were, how dominant they were. Lost the game by a lot, but Pierre Scrooman won the fight against Dan Sheehan over the old advertising hoarding. So you know, small victories, Charles. You've got to take. You've got to take them. You've got to take yep. them. Only concern for Ireland, um, injury wise. Just sort of monitoring Matt Hansen's calf and James Lowe's eye. They will desperately hope they're available. James Ryan's hand seems like a bit more of an issue, but then he wasn't actually the starter against against Scotland, which was quite an interesting interesting call, actually, from Andy Farrell, sort of rewarding in Henderson's form, or, or more importantly, I guess, maybe taking note of James Ryan's lack of it and, and making the call to disrupt his second row unit. Yeah, line-out seems to be a big, a big kind of area that they're looking to shore up there. Ian Henderson, shout out to him. He looked blowing in the first 20 minutes, but got through got through the entire game. And he's it's great. It's really, it's really cool to see players sort of 
come back into form in, in big tournaments and sort of almost tournaments where they can defi- redefine themselves or define themselves again. And he, he's been awesome. This this, and he's got a huge, clearly got a huge, huge role to play in the rest of it because I don't. I, James Ryan's James Ryan probably low key one of the best players for England. Oh, sorry for Ireland in the during the Six Nations. Um, you wish. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> I think he would be. Uh, yeah, he'd be in demand if he was up for draft. Um, so big, big kind of miss. If you would have thought it was a big miss without somebody like Henderson stepping up. Charles, just finally, um, watching on TV, the, the number of Irish fans. J- James Lowe had said on the Friday. I've heard there's 60,000 Irish coming to Paris. I mean, a little more like 70,000. I've, I've never seen so many green shirts on a TV screen for a game not in Dublin. It's extraordinary. No, I mean, they, they took over Paris by the, by the look of things. I mean, we'll, we all experience it this weekend. I'm sure there'll be just as many this weekend. I mean, the, we mentioned at the start of the tournament the Twitter thread that I did about places to go in Paris. I mean, that's just basically been hijacked willingly by lots and lots of Irish fans it's just Irish fans messaging me saying oh yes we're, we're here this that and the other so it's ju- Irish the Irish have taken over Paris um, and long may it continue the atmosphere looked absolutely tremendous at, uh, at the Stade de France on, um, on Saturday night and again in the win over, over South Africa and I'm looking forward to experiencing it this weekend you've got a few days left to perfect the uh, the verses to Fields of Athens right so just get practicing and we yeah. can uh, we can work on that when we get to Paris later in the week I already know them oh that's good that's good um Let's hear from Israel Dag now, just on, for an All Blacks take on what's happening with New Zealand. Can they upset Ireland? That's the big question. Delighted to have Israel Dag on the Telegraph Rugby podcast this week. Izzy, hope you're well. How are you? I'm very well, team. I'm just about to tuck into bed and have a good night's sleep. You know, one more sleep closer to the weekend and we know what weekends ahead of us particularly in New Zealand we've got an election here as well so it's a huge weekend election horse racing and the All Blacks playing we can't it can't get any better that is a lively lively lineup for a week uh well the confidence <laughs> levels around the All Blacks just uh, given that it's Ireland given Ireland are going for this this wins record and they're all trying to tie the New Zealand and England record of 18 and also after that summer series last year I mean what's the kind of what's the kind of vibe Oh, there's a little bit of worry. I'm not going to lie. Uh, there's a little bit of doubt. Uh, just crept in, you know, to all the public. I work in the radio, and I'm trying to inspire and encourage everyone to get behind this team. But every message that comes through the phone lines is just pumping up islands, and it's no surprises really what they've done in the last five, six years. You know, to be number one, to win Grand Slams, to be potentially aiding on the chart, and if they go all the way. Uh, and they win this, uh, the Grand Slam, they could potentially p- become the greatest test team to win the most consecutive games. So there is a lot of uh, confidence building in the Irish team. But for me personally, um, I hold on to a lot of World Cup pressure. You know, like I was lucky enough to play in one, and it's just different, particularly when you get to the playoffs, when you know it's still die. Um, there's no tomorrow. There's no g- given Monday next week. You've got to put it all out there. And Ireland haven't done that. So that's where I get a sense of confidence from a, from an All Blacks point of view. We've been there, we've been there before, and we know what it takes to win this. Yeah, it seems like that. It is Ireland's big obstacle. Can they win that that first knockout game? How how do you see it in terms of contenders for the title? Is it, are there, is there sort of a top three of, of France, Ireland, South Africa, and then and then maybe New Zealand down a slight level, or, or is it more of a top quartet thing? Whereas any of those four could win it. Well, it's crazy, eh? The four are on this side, <laughs> so two of the best yeah. are going to go. <laughs> it's like, oh man, you'd love to be on the other side, but that, that's just the way it's 
it's happened and it's it's unfortunate, but we're going to get a final series this weekend when you see South Africa taking on France. I, I actually had South Africa at the start of the tournament and I know Ireland beat them in that performance and they did extremely well, but I just there's just something about South Africa, their, their team, the way that they play. They've got depth. They just ooze depth. They've got size. Um, if they're able to play a game that is slow, stop, start, that, uh, don't get me started on the officiating, but um, if, if they're able to play that kind of game, I feel like um, it's probably leading towards a South Africa South Africa win. But, mate, look, honestly, I, I had the All Blacks probably, yeah, fourth, third or fourth. Um, you could go France. Uh, I had France, South Africa, France, Ireland, and then the All Blacks. The, one of the big talking points about New Zealand seems to be whether they've got the, the physicality to live with with Ireland and, and South Africa and, and France. It, is that something that's something that seemed to improve when Jason Ryan came in after the Ireland series and there's been a, a couple of games where it's where it's maybe not quite delivered. Is there an issue there? And, and I guess also how important is Shannon Frizzell to all of that because he seems to be be kind of an enforcer in that back row. Oh, he's huge. He's absolutely vital for this All Blacks team. I, I think it's it's not new. Like everyone thinks that the teams are a lot bigger than the All Blacks, and, and they are, don't get me wrong, but we've always been lacking in size uh, against South Africa particularly. And I remember when I was playing those games, we knew what we were up against. Like The backs were bigger than some of the forwards. But the reality is you can't hide from it. So that week you've got seven days between tests to find that spot to get yourself in that dark place because it's going to hurt. And you're going to have to do something that your mind is telling me, telling you you don't want to, but you have to find some sort of heart. So I, I have full belief that this All Blacks team, with the motivation and, and the week that they're going to have, that they're going to front up. Man, they got embarrassed. They got embarrassed last year on our home soil, something that I never, ever thought I'd see. They got embarrassed. They got showed up. And they had their, their heads between their, their, their knees, you know. Like, they just... So look, if you're not, if you can't find any motivation, you're going to a quarter final and you can't match them physically, then you you just don't deserve to be there. So I've got no qualms about this team fronting up, and Shannon Frizzell is huge in that department. But we we need a little bit of niggle too, and a little bit of edge. Yeah, Pete Omani, you know, he brings a bit of bit of chat to him. You know, the Irish have got a lot of chat about them. So for the All Blacks. They've got to they've got to return that. They've got to stand tall and, and st- staunch up to these these Irish players and, and you know never give an inch. Who gets the start at at seven? Do you think is it Dawson Papali or is it Sam Kane? That seems to be the uh, one of the topics this week. No, I'd go Sam Kane. Look, oh, I understand why they keep going with Dalton. You know, Sam's been injured. There's no consistency. You're trying to find some sort of balance in that loose forward. I think. From an All Blacks point of view, lads, it's we haven't had enough success at the breakdown. We haven't been able to slow. Uh, other than Artie, um, we have no ability to slow that ball. When you're facing Ireland, who have the quickest ruck ball uh, in the world at the moment, you need to get in there and be a menace. Sam Kane is very good at that. So for me, when you're juggling up the two, who's going to be potentially a nuisance at the breakdown? I want Sam Kane. And yes, Papa Lee's probably more able, to, agile around the field. He offers a more bit more on attack. But defence, the way that Ireland attack, defence is going to win you this game. And we need to be a menace and a presence at that breakdown. I wanted to ask you about the hacker. It's still such a big thing 
before the games there's there's always kind of a bit of opposition i think largely in the northern hemisphere to it and and there's been a sense of that maybe slightly increasing over the last few weeks what how sort of important and relevant do you still think it is oh it's it's our it's our identity as a country as a nation you know like when you hear the haka, you know they're from Aotearoa, you know they're from New Zealand, and people think it's, you know, it is a challenge, but it's also a sign of respect for for the battle that we're about to embark on. And um, I still feel that a lot of teams respect it, they they appreciate it, but then uh, on the flip side, teams are, are challenging it back. You know, they're really... They're really embracing what's coming out. Um, for, for me personally, I, I absolutely loved it, and it's it's just... A good way to to get up, get motivated, and you know, stamp your mark on, on the on the game that's just about to begin. Um, I remember in 2011 when France, you know, come over the 10 meter line, and apparently they got a 20 grand euro fine for it, but they got plenty of money, so it didn't matter. But they came up in our faces like a Mighty Ducks formation. They had different t-shirts on, and as a player, I was like, wow, because we didn't expect it. So going forward, I reckon Ireland, potentially whoever they're going to face in these playoffs, are going to do something that is going to try and rattle this team. Because I'll be honest, in 2011, I didn't expect it, and it probably got on my mind a little bit more. 8-7, well, probably a bit too close to, to think about it. It's giving me, uh, giving me bloody shivers right now. <laughs> I was going to ask about that. I was going to ask if, if teams do like a, like a pre-planned thing in response, whether you guys like that, or, or whether you're actually thinking, I don't know, they should just stand back and watch it. It seems like it's you, you quite liked having a response to it. Yeah, like every team's different, but throughout the week, I know in 2007, the All Black squad got um, caught off guard, you know, when the French actually advanced and went towards the Haka because they didn't expect it to happen. So going forward, during the week, you know, all professional teams do it. You do a lot of what ifs. So you got to go through those what-if moments. If this happens, you just stand there, you look them in the eyes. You know they're that's, they're allowed to do that if if they want to get up there and, and do their own challenge and approach the hucker and head towards it with head to head on. Um, you just you just appreciate that. But uh, yeah, look, I, I love it, mate. It creates a bit of tension. I don't know if you've seen it down here, but there was a hucker between the East Coast, Nati Paro. They're a, a, a staunch union. Well, they advanced to South Canterbury and got up in their grill and were right there and just staring at them, doing pukanas and getting into it. And it, I thought there was a big fight going to break out, but the fight didn't break out. Afterwards, they just gave themselves a hungi and uh, shook hands, and then they got on with the game. It's just a haka. It's a challenge. Um, but, you know, there's no, there's no uh, aggression or we're not trying to fight anyone. We're just trying to, you know, represent our identity, our culture, and, and try and play a performance that everyone's proud of. Just a general one on, on sort of the next wave, I guess, of, of All Blacks coming through. We, we saw the under-20s struggled a bit in the summer with um, losing to France and, and losing to Australia. Uh, what's the kind of sense there? Is, is there sort of a new wave c- coming through, do you think? Or, or is this maybe kind of where the All Blacks, maybe the level they're going to be at for a while? What's the what's the mood like around that? Oh, it's, there's a lot of concern, if I'm completely honest. Yeah, like when you're seeing the under-20s, like a competition that New Zealand has won many a times, absolutely struggling and struggling against nations that potentially we should have absolutely dominated. 
like it is a big concern in New Zealand at the moment with community rugby, the pathways, um, the All Blacks, the NZR just had a big review in regards to the competitions here. There's no 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 fan engagement. Uh, communities feel disengaged from NZR, from our players. It's it's a bit of a concern. So we need to do something relatively quick. Whatever that is, it's hard down here, boys. Like, we've got Australia, and you know what's going on over there. We don't have to cover what's going on in Australia. But with Australia plan and, and, you know, being at the level that they are right now, it hurts us. It hurts us. There's, there's no denying that. And with South Africa leaving... We we just need to find something. What that is, I don't know. Potentially, maybe going to Japan and, and trying to you know form a league there. Uh, we need to do something because Australia and New Zealand, when you're playing each other every single time, and then you head up north and you play that physical forward orientated game, we get caught out because we're used to offloading, we're used to throwing the ball around everywhere. Well, that ain't going to work in test level, and. Um, so there are concerns at professional level and definitely at club level. Like we're not even – like kids these days, I mean, when I was growing up, everyone wanted to be an All Black. Now there's so many options for these kids to play basketball, play cricket, um, to play all these sports. And and now we've got to find – we got comfortable. If I'm going to be completely honest, I feel like we got comfortable. The brand has represented us for a very long time and we thought that was always going to be the – the draw card for a lot of these kids. So we probably got comfortable, but right now we're going to have to invest heavily. We're going to have to get out there and be a presence in the community, go back to the clubs, you know. When, when do, do the boys in your area, do they go back and play for their clubs? Yeah, no one goes back and plays for their clubs. And what I mean by clubs is your your club out of high school, you know, when you're trying to make it into professional level. Like there's, there's just none of that. A lot of clubs are shutting down. We're losing the heart and the grassroots of, of New Zealand rugby. It's, it's, it's sad to see. And if I'm honest, I think it's going to be a pretty tough time going forward. I think that would be really interesting because I don't think people have sort of clocked on to that. So, so the talent is there or might be there. You're just not quite getting it in. As as much as beforehand seems to be, yeah. or it's not being sort of attracted to the sport as much as it was. Yeah, the the talent is there, um, but there's a lot of um, you know reasons why we're we're not swooping on them. Is you've got NRL, which is the major rugby league competition over in in Australia that is absolutely thriving. They have scouts all over our country in our own backyards, and they come. I know a story from. Crusaders, Christchurch region, when they've come down, they've offered this kid who's probably 14, 15 years of age, a high school scholarship, uh, an academy scholarship to go play in the NRL. So that's what's happening. We've got all these people coming over and just sweeping these kids from a young age. And we're never getting opportunities like that from a very young age. They're going to take them. So we've got to be better at recruiting. We've got to give them better opportunities to play high-level rugby. Like a lot of the junior competitions and tournaments have been abandoned. Um, so they've got rid of those. Whereas growing up, I always wanted to play for Hawks Bay under 16s. I wanted to go play for the Hurricane Schools and and so on. But like we're starting to see less and less of those, which is which is sad. So when you don't have competition, well, what's the point in, in having a go at it? Why not go play basketball and then potentially make it in America? I want to know <laughs> what you're going to tell people on the breakfast show. Why can the All Blacks win on, on Saturday? Make me... Made me believe. What what can they do? How are they going to do it? Well, for a starter, we've got to look after the ball. We we cannot 
kick the ball away like we did against France and expect for our defence to, 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 you know, to, to hold us in good stead. We've got to look after the ball. We've got to be creative as well. Like you saw, yes, we were playing Minnow teams, we are playing Italy, we are playing Uruguay, but the creativity was there. We were seeing the space, we are identifying the space, and everyone was executing their role. So we just we, we, we need to play smart. We need to kick a whole lot smarter. We don't want to kick willy-nilly and, and allow their, their back line or their team to hold onto the ball and suffocate this team. And we've just got to be mongrels. We have to be mongrels. We have to have an edge to us at the breakdown, at a scrum, at the rolling more defensively. We've just got to add some niggle. If we don't, well, Peter Marnie, Omani's going to absolutely bully us. Fingers crossed for you. Hopefully it goes well. Hopefully we get a decent game. Izzy, thanks so much for your time. Oh, good. Cheers, fellas. That was Israel Dag. Really interesting to get his take, not just on the game this weekend, but also just on New Zealand rugby in general and kind of the mood there. In terms of this, it's been an interesting World Cup for the All Blacks. Obviously, they lost the first game off the back of that thrashing by South Africa at Twickenham, but then they've, like Charles has said, not really had a decent opponent. Put 96 points on Italy another turn the other night they scored loads of tries it's not that they're the opposition they've been playing against has been bad but they produce some nice rugby but really what they need as as dag hinted in that interview when he said that they just they're playing against teams now and they don't have enough sort of real scraps with australia they they need more kind of opponents where they're having to face the likes of peter romani and those kind of players so have they got the physicality to take on ireland charlie I, i'm not sure even with shannon frizzell i'm not sure they do I think Shannon Frizzell was a big, big figure for them, isn't he? Geordie Barrett at 12, those flags, Ethan De Groot back from suspension, those big, those guys that have been really important to them as far as regathering impetus over the World Cup cycle. Their World Cup cycle, by the way, has been so weird, mm. has been really up and down. They've had long winning streaks and then horrible streaks. They've been turned over at home by Argentina, um, played Australia a lot. They've had that weird, weird, weird collapse at, at Twickenham, which was just bizarre to watch yeah. um but as we said joe schmidt joe schmidt coaching against his his old side with more of an influence in the coaching team as as he than he did in the um during the series against them after that series that was kind of this catalyst for change wasn't it because it was either ian foster going or it was a sort of rearranging of his backroom staff it was the latter with jason ryan coming in joe schmidt taking more of the reins so we sort of are led to believe and yeah, and those kind of flagship position changes. Now it's not not long ago that they absolutely pumped South Africa at home and looked fantastic. And we were going, wow, okay, mm-hmm. if they can if they can get that right at the World Cup, then who's going to stop them? So that is just a it's just a fantastic, fascinating quarterfinal. Um, is it a shame that it's quarterfinal a little bit? Just to wrap up this section, who wins? I think I think we're three islands, aren't we? I'm so saying Ireland, Charlie. Islands, yeah, three islands. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were going to be contrarian there. No way. Okay. No way. Charles? Three islands, yeah. Three Ireland. islands, three islands. It'll be no pressure on uh, on Ireland to deliver the goods. Hey, producer Jeremy, no pressure on them. He's looking nervous. Right, rest of the quarterfinals. Let's chat about them. Okay, the big game on Sunday night, France against South Africa. And, and Charles, the latest on Antoine Dupont is that he's back. Back in training. Back in training, and they're giving him as much time as possible to play in this match, and as much chance as possible to play in this match. 
he still needs to be in terms of the the procedure of what happens now it's a little bit unclear but i'm presuming that he's now back in training and it's just the french medical staff and him have to make a call as to whether he's fit and able to play on sunday um in terms of a fitness point of view i.e. conditioning he's good to go because last week he was doing all non-rugby training lots of running lots of SQ stuff um so yeah i mean they looked pretty good without him on Friday night, didn't they? With Maxim Luke at nine, he was fine. Yeah, but it's, it's, let's it's, nip back it's in the Italy. right now. <laughs> let's nip back in the right. I saw that, and it was oh, Luke. You know, Luke and Jalabert, they played together at club level, and you're like, yeah, a, it's Italy. B, Dupont could do things that other other mortals cannot. Uh, I'm sure. being I'm being ganged up on here. Uh, what I would say is just in Luke's defence. Last autumn, France beat South Africa in Marseille. I was there. Dupont got red carded, and Luke came on and steered them to a win, and he could do the same this weekend. He has also never lost in a France shirt in 18 caps, Maxime Luke. I'll give you this. France don't need Dupont is not a narrative I was expecting from this section. and so That I'm, is not the narrative that I'm, I'm hoping to pervade. All I'm saying is, is that if they don't have him, then they're going to have to do it without him, you know, and they're going to have to. And all I'm saying is, is that I think Maxime Lucu looked... An able, an able understudy. They would obviously love their captain, their talisman, the world's best player. I, we would all love him to be there because it's the quarterfinal of the World Cup, and it merits that caliber of player. And also, it could be, it could be the end for them. So, you know, it really, it, it really does merit that caliber of player. But if he's not there, they're going to have to do it without him. And what a, a lovely story in that Charles Olivon, who, who's been sort of well he's the vice captain and, 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 has, and has been captaining in, in, in Dupont's absence and, and Maxime Lucu who has replaced Dupont at Scrum Half both have been playing played at Sampis on Nivelle in the Basque Country at the same club in the same team since they were five years old so there's a lovely there's a lovely backstory there to it as well Good news Francis Chalange is back Sirabai is back Julien Marchand's not going to quite make it but that's okay because actually to have Peter Mavaka and Pierre Bougarit is your second and third choice because it's yeah, yeah. something other countries would absolutely relish, isn't it? From a, a South African perspective, are we all thinking, I think the South African team is, is named quite soon, are we all presuming that Pollard is in at 10 even though he's not had a lot of minutes or do they do they stick with Marnie Libok and, and sort of just give Faf de Klerk goal-kicking duties? I think they, I think Libbox starts, don't you? And I then agree. Pollard goes on the bench, and that com- obviously compromises what they can do bench wise. I don't think they'd even go six two with Pollard on the bench because he's just not that versatile. Uh, I think he- I think Libbock will still goal kick. Right? They won't they won't give it to Faf de Klerk, will they? They they ask Libbock to goal kick surely and start, and then Pollard there as a as an insurance if it all goes to pot. Might be one of those where they give him the first one. Or the first couple, and if their shock is, they say, right, faff, you're, you're, you're on duty. They give him the first one from halfway, right on the touchline. Oh, yeah. you missed that one, right, faff, you're on it. <laughs> That's definitely happened already in this World Cup with one team, and I, and I can't remember who it was. So, yeah, potentially bench, 6-2, 6-2 makes more sense over 7-1. I, South Africa is sort of perfectly set up to be spoilers, and one of you tipped them to win the World Cup at the start, and I want to say it was Charlie... It was me. Do you still feel confident about that? Less confident, given how Ireland have gone. Um, I just thought, but then again, I thought that South Africa's performance against Ireland was one of those that we have kind of touched on a couple of teams maybe did this weekend where they had little to lose and they thought they'd try out the 7-1, maybe go against... I think they'll have to go 5-3 with with Pollard in, in, in the squad unless they do something funky like start him at 12. 
which is you know not not um, beyond the realms. Mm. Um, I'm still pretty high on them, yeah, and I would say I'm still marginally higher on them than I am on Ireland. But I think those two, then France, and then there's a little little way before before New Zealand out of that big four for me. Yeah, it's the scrum battle that I'm fascinated by, as ever with the South African team. I can't wait to see how, how sort of France shape up there. I think they'll shape up quite well, Charles, especially with buyback. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I, I suspect so. It's never, it's never been like a, a major, major strength of this France team because they have, they're just so good in other areas, but it's never been a weakness either. And obviously, budging Weenie Antonio is, is akin to sort of having to move to fridge freezers. So I think that, I think they'll be fine there over on the, on, I think, I think they'll be fine there. South Africa might want to have a go at bye because he's not played very much. And, and obviously, Mal Herber is, is an excellent scrummager. Um, but also with the speed that France want to play, they won't want to keep the ball in the scrum anyway. They want to get it out and get it gone and, and, and attack France. Uh, sorry, attack South Africa in, in, in the wider channels and at pace. So Machonis on South Africa to keep the ball off the field if they can and just to keep it keep it line out to line out and stop France from playing. I'll, I'll be, that's why. That's why I just wonder about Pollard. It's a bit of a gamble with his fitness because he hasn't played much. But I just think they're so reliant on the kicking game and sort of winning the territory and not gifting France possession that could sway it. They've kind, of, they've kind of gone against that a little bit with and a kind of another flagship selection they've seemingly made is, is Valenza playing over over Villy Larue to my um, humiliation. But, um, <laughs> yeah, but no, um, just really interesting. They almost seem caught between two styles a little bit, South Africa, but I think they will certainly settle on one or the other ahead of what is yeah, clearly clearly a huge game. Going back to Alistair it's here ball and, and trying to play with width and it all ending in disaster. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, and Wales Argentina. I feel like we're we're snoozing on this game a bit. <laughs> and and I know why that is. It's because Argentina have been pretty dreadful until Sunday actually against Japan, where all of a sudden that was such a weird game. I don't know how much you got to see, but I was watching it going, This is atrocious, like the standard of sort of handling and knock ons. And then each team would just pop up with the most incredible try out of nowhere. And you're like, oh, okay, maybe it's not. And then, and then there'd be knock-ons and hanging games again. You're like, oh, no, 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 it is, it is bad. And then by the end, it was actually really fun. Japan just, just kept at it. And then Argentina snuck away with a Matteo Carreras hat-trick. I mean, I, I'm fascinated by this. I think Wales have probably got it, but, but I don't know. Yeah, Argentina have been bad, haven't they? And they've mm. kind of done the, the very sort of UK and Ireland-y sort of Thing that those teams do by being desperate to be underdogs mm. and just crumbling under any sort of expectation as they did against England and then sort of building that back up with a pretty with a pretty kind of gradual 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 improvements um Matera missing for them is is, yep. is tough um but still strong though aren't they on the back row still strong really strong in the back row um yeah I, I don't know I, I can see this being really really tense really edgy uh, really bad tempered as well. Actually, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised, um, but I would back would back Wales to get through. I think the, the, one of the reasons maybe why we're napping on it a little bit is yeah, Argentina have been dreadful, but I, I, I'm, I'm, I would sort of maintain that I don't think Wales have set the rugby world alight either. Here, I know they top their group and are unbeaten, mm. but I, I still don't think they've been particularly. I don't know, particularly fantastic in terms in the way that they've in the way that they've played. I know it's very good that they've got <laughs> they've got a realistic shot at a semi final, and that's obviously a major achievement for them. And, and topping the group and being un, unbeaten is a major achievement. But I do I do wonder if they're fr- flattering to deceive a little bit. Is is is, is my is my reservation? I think on paper Argentina um, should really go into the game as favourites. They don't because they've 
come second in their pool and they um, have not have been playing pretty in a pretty mediocre fashion really but certainly on an individual level and on paper I think Argentina have the ability to really sting Wales on Sunday and I don't think it'll be a pretty game and I think Argentina might do it I'm waiting for a dominant Argentinian scrummaging performance where they really deliver on that front because we haven't really seen it for I don't think you're going to get it what feels like forever mm. and the Marcus Ayotza days maybe I don't yeah, I don't trust. I still don't trust Santi Carreras at ten. I keep saying it. I just don't think he can control a game well enough. If you're playing a loose game like against Japan, he's brilliant in opening up the attack and adding width. I don't know if he's got the tactical game required to to outdo Wales would, in would, that would area. Would Checa start Sa- Sanchez against Wales? <sighs> don't think so. I think no, he's, I, I think he's sort of wedded to to Carreras now, and that's mm. fine. But and it's and actually lovely to have Sanchez as a, a closing option off the bench. Sorry, Charlie. Falatau, big miss for Wales. Do you go yeah. Morgan Raffle, Wainwright? Because that's fun. Wayne, I, think, I think they should, but I don't yeah. think he will. Wainwright is is the most arguably the most interesting player of the Gatland kind of eras because he was big on him in 2019. Wainwright basically got phased out by Pivak. He just wasn't getting picked at all. And the first Wales squad when Gatlin came back, he picked Wainwright again straight away. Loves his physicality. Loves the idea of him as a number eight, even though he can sort of play six. I would have Wainwright in there, I think. Jack Morgan will be back as well, which is huge. If if Argentina have done any scouting, you just desperately try and shut down Nick Tompkins as quickly as possible because actually, Big has been played brilliantly, but Tompkins is the one who's sort of creating these half breaks for either George North on his outside or looking inside for a, a winger or a Gareth Davies I think he is the key if Argentina are going to win this sort of closing down Tompkins shutting down that space and of course Aaron Wainwright was indirectly the hero of Wales's 2019 course final victory as he was on the receiving end of the Sebastian Vahabahida elbow to the face which resulted in French lock being sent off so so yeah it, there's a good omen there with Wainwright is that an assist technically yeah, uh, assist to the result assist yeah. to the result um, does, Lydiot it, so, so he knit back home for the birth of his child a few days ago, but I assume he's now back in camp. That would be interesting if, if, if he was involved. I guess I guess we shouldn't rule it out. Um, I, 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 the Wales sort of half an hour, forty minutes they had against Fiji after the early jitters and before Bigger went off, they were very impressive. And it and maybe it's because Australia was just so bad <laughs> that we're kind of. Not giving Wales enough credit for what they did in Lyon in that in that record win, but they were they were pretty exceptional at times. And I think Jack Morgan actually was was one of the best players of the pool stages. With that, I'd agree he, with that. He, yeah, he but, performed certainly. I just yeah, I I feel like they will have enough control over the game to to put Argentina away. But we're probably due we're probably due a shock, and I don't know if mm. New Zealand's being Ireland or South Africa being France is a shock, but maybe Argentina putting away Wales having been so bad against England at the start of the pool stages maybe that qualifies or Fiji being England well one of them yeah one of them <laughs> the shock is coming from that side of the draw the, 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 the sort of from, dreadful the dreadful say, side from of the, the, the shocking side yeah, of the, the draw the shocking side of the draw that's shock where the, the shocks shock. come from well I mean if it's going to come from anywhere right let's get on to some of your questions Okay, on to your questions. And actually, we're just going to focus on one excellent one, which we had from Loro. And I'll, I'll try and do it justice. He says, if you were being sentenced for a crime and the judge was a referee, which of the World Cup 2023 team captains would you most want in your corner defending your case? Firstly, outstanding question. Maybe the best yeah. one we've had since we did the podcast. Um, Charlie, you get the honours of answering this first. Who would you want to have in your corner? I said Leach straight away, didn't I? Um, stupidly not realising that he's not even Japan's captain anymore. 
um, he'd be great. Sort of just very, very quiet and, in, and intense, I think. Do you know what? I'm going to go with Se- uh, Johnny Sexton Mark II. He seems to have sort of chilled out while still being quite persuasively aggy. Funny that. Aggily, aggily persuasive. Mm. Um, so, yeah, give me, let, let Johnny Sexton please defend me. Charles? I am going to go, I, I've just thought it through. Michele Lamoro, I think, is an excellent captain, the Italy captain. But as I said, we, as I've just said off air, he's always on, on the back foot. So maybe not necessarily the best person to defend you. Andres Villaseca of Uruguay, also sort of the case. Dupont doesn't speak English, isn't his first language. Fan of Jack Morgan. I'm going to go Jamie Ritchie of Scotland um, because I think his, his manner with the referees is um, is excellent. He's, he's a forward, so he's, 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 he builds these he builds a rapport with the referee, um, and he's very diplomatic and, and mild mannered, and, and speaks very well to the refs. Dupont's presence in the courtroom alone might work in your favour because they might just be like, "Oh, Santon Dupont, sure." I believe he him. thinks he's innocent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, f- first name that came to mind was obviously Sia Khaleesi because he'll probably present the best argument. I think he's the he's the captain that referees and and pundits and the media and fans probably listen to the most. Although I do quite like the idea of Ben Tamifuna just there for his presence alone, the Tonga captain just just kind of representing me and offering a persuasive argument just through his facial expressions. I feel like he would do a good job. And Julian Montoya, Argentina's captain. Um, wouldn't say boo to a goose, boo to a goose ordinarily, and you know is as as developed into a wonderful leader for both Argentina and Leicester. But I don't know quite how he managed to get on the wrong side of Wayne Barnes so much in that Premiership semi final. And every time he went up to him, Barnes just sort of turned his back, gave him the cold shoulder, and stormed off. So I, I certainly wouldn't be having Julio Montoya anytime soon. Oh, oh so we're we're doing who we wouldn't want. Uh, yeah, okay. I think we. I think have <laughs> I segued right, inorganically Charlie. into that? All right, Charlie, who do you not want representing you? I think Owen Farrell's probably firing up a judge, isn't he? And putting me in hot water That's, uh, somehow. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I would want Owen Farrell either. Right, that's it for today. Thank you, Charlie. <laughs> Thank you, Charles. And a big thanks to Israel Dag as well for joining us um, so late in New Zealand before he gets up early for his breakfast show as well. Great to hear from him. Huge weekend coming up for England, Ireland and Wales. Keep up with all of our coverage throughout the week on the Telegraph website and in the paper. Head of what is going to be the most pivotal weekend of the tournament so far. Enjoy all the action and we'll catch you next week. But until then, from all three of us, thank you and goodbye. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.